1,041 in the Blue Bibles. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This is the word of God. Good morning, happy Anzac Day long weekend and happy birthday. Imagine that, having, um, having your birthday on a long weekend weekend, that's going to be awesome. But for the rest of us, imagine, well you don't have to imagine, it's real. It's nice having an extra day to do with however you want, isn't it? At least most of us do. Uh, who's working on Monday? Some of us have to, yep. You've got deadlines to meet? It's a shift you've got to take, or even if the shop is closed, you know you might be running your own business or something. There's plenty of work to do just on your own, on the computer, or it, when the shop's closed, that's when you get most of the stuff done. Uh, or if you're a student, you know, uh, having assignments to do or readings you need to get done, whether you're in class or not in class, doesn't really take any pressure off the work that you've got to get done. If you're, it applies for lots of people. If you're a stay-at-home mum or dad, if you're in retirement... Actually, what I found, if you're a pastor, Sunday's going to come around every week at the same time anyway, isn't it? And so if you've got to write a talk, you take Monday off, you can. You can take Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday off. It just means you squeeze the time that you need to do the prep that you need to do and you stay up later the other nights. That's, that's what it is. Some of you might be working in a job that, honestly, we're all glad you don't take long weekends off. While the rest of us are at the beach... You want lifeguards to be there, don't you? You want someone to be looking out for you. Or if you are in an accident, if you're in some sort of real trouble and uh, the ambulance is coming for you, I'm glad that the emergency services are still working, the police are still on, the medical professionals, they're still available. How bad would it be if you were in a roadside accident and it's gone really bad, uh, the ambulance is coming to get you, sirens blazing and... The driver, ambulance driver, happens to go past the beach and it's a sunny day, it's Anzac Day, so the ambulance crew decides to pull over, go for a surf, have some fish and chips, work on their tan, throw a frisbee around, because it's Anzac Day, it's a long weekend, everyone else is chilling out. You can't do that, can you? If you're on the job, you're on the job. It doesn't matter what everyone else is doing. There's nothing wrong with going to the beach. There's nothing wrong with having a surf or throwing a frisbee. But you can't have it both ways. If you're working, you're working. And I don't think it's too much to ask for some commitment and discipline from your ambulance driver. You talk about discipline. uh, I think elite athletes are in the same boat. 
I don't know if you saw the Australian swimmers who qualified for the Olympics just a couple of weeks ago. They're on telly doing their thing. Them and every other sports person who knows they're heading to Rio in a couple of months. This isn't the time to be slacking off, is it? It doesn't matter what day it is. It isn't the time to be eating junk food or to be sleeping in. They're on task. They have their mission. They've got to stay fit. And the same goes for us, Pennant Hills Baptist Church. We've set a goal. We've said we're on the job. We're, we're part, of, part of it is that we've said, you know, it's an expression of our discipleship as a church, our following of Jesus for the next five years. We said we want to be fruitful, we want to be healthy, we want to be people, a community with space to grow. And we want to get there. And so this whole year, 2016, is about us together getting into shape, getting into a particular mindset and to gear ourselves up for the years to come to help us get ready. And the mindset is that we're exiles fit for mission. That we don't belong here. That this isn't our home. But while we are here, you know, God's given us a job to do. We're on. We're to be his people He's called us to be, and we, we talked about this before, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, the one who's uh, called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're meant to declare his praises with our lives, with our words, with our everything. And you know what? That's going to cost. It's going to cost us our comfort. It's going to cost us our allegiances to anything other than God who takes front and centre, it's going to cost you everything else that you could have otherwise been doing with your life. Or at least it should. Because if you remember earlier in this chapter, Luke 9, uh, Jesus says very plainly, if anyone wants to follow me, this is the baseline requirement, they must take up their cross deny themselves and follow. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Luke 9, 23, 24. As we come to our passage today, it's like, it's like Jesus is reiterating that message to us about the costliness of what it's like to follow him, but he fleshes it out for us. So as we start, let me lead us in prayer that would be willing to hear Jesus' challenge. Let's pray. Father, we know that in your word you, you tell us some hard things and often those hard things are the best things for us. And so we pray that this morning as we look again at what Jesus has said that you'd be at work by your spirit through your word in us, that we'd listen, that we'd obey. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now everyone we meet in this passage who comes to talk with Jesus they get a serious, no-nonsense, this-is-how-it-is sort of answer from Jesus. He doesn't pull any punches. He's not trying to please people. He doesn't pander to the crowd. He almost does the opposite. He sort of whittles down his crowd in what he says. You see the first man come in verse 57, chapter 9, verse 57. And this man's keen. You know, if, if someone like this man came up to me and said, Hey, Johnny, I'd like to help out leading Sunday school with you. Whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it. Guess what I'd say? Yes. Come on board. 
But you notice, Jesus doesn't sound all that excited about this man who's come to say that he wants to follow Jesus wherever Jesus is going to go. The feeling doesn't look mutual. Jesus instead checks to make sure this guy knows exactly what he's getting into. Uh, Look at verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, don't you, says Jesus, that if you choose to follow me, you will be an alien and a stranger in this world. All sorts of creatures in the animal kingdom, they have homes, but the Son of Man, as Jesus talking about himself, has nowhere. He is of God and the world has turned their backs on God largely. They don't want a bar of him. You see this most clearly when they crucify him. That's the ultimate statement of no. If this was Jesus' home, that just wouldn't happen, would it? But that's where he is heading to rejection and suffering and death and betrayal. And he's warning this man here who says, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. Jesus says, look, I don't belong here. And if you follow me, you won't belong here anymore either. Our friends, when they first become Christian and express that interest in accepting Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour, it's a wonderful sort of time, but we do them a service, I think, We do them a service when we explain clearly to them from the very start just how much this road is going to cost them. Because it's better to think clearly and make the right call than to jump in only to bail halfway through. Like you want want to call yourself a Christian with your will fully engaged. And as you grow, as you read scripture, you will find, you'll realise like all of us do, Wow, you mean this part of me has to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus too? And as the Spirit of God works in your head to get your head right, you will think, yes, and this too is worth it. Because home awaits. And that's where we belong. That's the upshot of not belonging here. It might seem like there's a lot of immediate downsides, But the upshot is you make it very clear to yourself that you authentically belong somewhere else. It gives you a trajectory. You know, it gives you a rationale. It helps you decide what you can safely hold on to from our culture and what things need to be dropped or redeemed. Let me give you an example. Uh, You end up being able to sit more loose with your stuff, your things, because they're not going to last. You know, instead of what a lot of Australian friends of mine do, where they're working towards making their house their own personal heaven. You know, they fill it with things that will give them joy, a place of ultimate peace and rest. Having a different trajectory lets you look up a bit and you realise all that's coming to you anyway. You're heading for home. Well, that Asian dream, maybe it's not just Asian, of providing a house for your kids, or at least helping them substantially with with it, seeing them set up and secure, 
making sure they're materially satisfied and looked after and married off with a ton of grandchildren. That's all well and good if this world is all we have here and now. But what would it look like to set your sights a bit higher? You know, to, to dream of making sure your family is spiritually well set up and secure. To have a ton of spiritual children and great-grandchildren because of how you've sacrificed and invested your life and your time and your resources wisely. You see how belonging to the kingdom of God frees you from belonging to here, this world that crucifies Jesus and gives you a picture of what could be and where we're heading. We don't belong to it anymore if you're following him. Uh, The second man, verse 59, uh, he starts the conversation. Sorry, Jesus starts the conversation with him. Jesus says to him, you follow me. And the man says, Lord, which is a good start. First, let me go bury my father. I wonder what you think. Uh, Is the situation here that this man is literally on the way from his father's funeral, who's just passed away. He's got the spade in his hand and he's saying, look, cemetery's down there, just give me two hours. I'm going to move some dirt from here to here It'll take, and then I'll come follow you, Jesus. This is just not a good time for me. Or is this man's father still alive? You know, maybe elderly and this man's feeling like it's his responsibility to honour his dad, to look after him. And maybe after his dad passes away, then he's free to pick up and follow Jesus. After he buries his father. But until then, he's occupied. Which one do you think it is? Either way, how Jesus responds is pretty blunt, isn't it? Verse 60. Uh, I'll start reading from the second half of 59. The man replied... Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. That's a bit jarring, isn't it? It doesn't matter what culture or religious background you're from. Honouring your parents and the burial of the dead in particular takes precedent over just about anything. This is true for Jews as well. Uh, This is the context that Jesus might have been in. The Jews knew that being in contact with someone who's dead would make you ceremonially unclean. So you couldn't do a lot of the temple things. You're seen as ritually. You need to be made clean again. But you go and do it anyway, don't you, for a family member who's passed away. The law sort of almost expected that that's what you'd do. You'd get unclean because... You have to go to this funeral. You want to go to this funeral. You're present for the funeral of your family member. What could possibly be more important than paying your respects? But Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, which I take to mean let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead the ones with no hope in the face of death, the ones who you know, might obsess with grief and duty and loss. Let them go and do their thing. But you, you who know eternal life, get on with your mission. 
You're on the job. Spread the news of the kingdom. When we were visiting Christine Dillon uh, last year, one of our long-term workers in Taiwan, now she's in Australia now, she's got her uh, information evening this Thursday, here at 7.45. But uh, when we were visiting her in Taiwan in that little fishing village in the south in Dunggang, she introduced this team of us to this middle-aged couple who, it was pretty obvious she'd known them for years. And this couple, they ran a shop on the side of the road um, selling bags and wallets and belts and all sorts of things. Um, and what they do, though, they'd set up their, their, their shop every morning and at night time they pack it all up and, and take it home. But she'd been sharing with them stories from the Bible for quite a while. It was obvious because they were pretty well versed. They'd heard the gospel. They knew chunks of the Old Testament and the New Testament. They'd heard about Jesus. They, they knew the history leading up to him and they liked it. They really were, were keen, it seemed, to be followers of Jesus. They knew he was the saviour. They knew he was the way and the truth and the life. Except, and here's what's stopping them, their parents. He was a middle-aged sort of couple themselves selling bags on the side of the road, heard all about Jesus, but their parents were still alive. And the parents didn't want them to become Christians. Because then who would continue the ancestor worship? You know, who's going to burn paper money and sweep the graves on grave sweeping day and ensure their parents' security in the afterlife, according to that system, if their children stop continuing those practices because they've become Christian? Now, I suspect this bag shop couple, they knew that ancestor worship was rubbish. You're literally burning money, which goes nowhere except making the air quality even worse than what it already is. But, hey, their parents are into it, really into it, and their battle still is, I think, about what their parents think of them. So their plan, as far as I'm aware, I need to get the latest update from Christine, but it seems they're waiting for their parents to die before they're going to dare to accept Jesus as Lord. That's their plan. That's what they're going to do. The man said, First, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, what Christine's told this couple is that they're being selfish. It seems like they're trying to be filial, you know, honouring their, their parents. But in actual fact, Christine said very clearly, you're kind of being selfish. You're so afraid of what your parents think, you're willing to let them die without knowing Jesus. Even though you know salvation is real in Jesus. And they're not willing to risk challenging their parents or sharing with them the good news. You know, sometimes you've got to walk the talk before people are going to take you seriously. And if Jesus really is Lord and Saviour, our allegiance belongs to him first before anything or anyone else. Even if that upsets people. Good. You know, let him see. Let him see what this means to you. Maybe this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Don't suppose I've come to bring peace. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. Anyone who loves their father or mother, their son or daughter, more than me, 
is not worthy of me. How's that for a Christmas card greeting? Man number three comes to Jesus in verse 61. And by now, if you are man number three and you're paying attention to what Jesus is saying to man number one and two, you know where this is going, don't you? You just keep your mouth shut. But here he is, verse 61. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, this is another apparently reasonable request. Met with a very strict reply from Jesus. Even the prophet Elijah, uh, Old Testament prophet, when he picks up his protege Elisha, so he picks up this little Padawan who's going to grow up to be his little the next prophet, 1 Kings 19, Elijah sends this boy home first to say goodbye to everybody. And Elisha takes his plough and his oxen, cuts them up, sacrifices and burns it as a sign that his old life is over. You know, that he's now going to be a prophet from now on. But here Jesus says, no, don't even do that. Keep your eyes on me. Anyone who looks back and your past way of life, after starting out with Jesus, he says, is not fit for the kingdom and for the work. You could argue that Jesus is exaggerating here to make a point, but maybe he's not. Either way, he's serious, isn't he? He wants you to know that following him It's going to cost you everything. This isn't some cheap grace. There's no room for this nominal rubbish where you say you own his name. Oh yeah, I'm Church of England, I'm Orthodox. Where you tick the box on the census, but that's it. And it means nothing to you. If you're a member of Pennant Hills Baptist Church, if you're not a member, become a member. That's a different conversation. Talk to me later. But if you are a member of Pennant Hills Baptist Church, if you're on board... What we are pitching at is being exiles fit for mission. And we're really doing this. This is the direction we're taking. This is the prep year, so it's a bit more you know, on, on the low-low. But next four years after this, it's really going to ramp up. And if you're going to be on board, you'll find plenty of opportunities to share in Jesus' not belonging to our world, to our culture. As we set our eyes on our real home. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to shake you up. There's plenty of opportunities in the next five years where you get to respond to Jesus placing his call on your life, even above that of possibly family and your duty to other things. And there'll be a call for us to persevere, to keep that stance, to be on the job even on the long weekend when everyone else is, is chilling out, you've got a job to do. And we're not doing that because of some vision document that we've put together. We're doing that because we're following Jesus. Amen.